and 20. Just in case you're wondering why the whole back of the church is gone, if you think about praying, pray for safety for our young people. They are at Three Springs uh, Retreat Center uh, for the uh, junior, senior high uh, youth retreat. Uh, there's about 30-some uh, young people and about 40-some people in all who are missing this morning because they're on that retreat. Uh, ben Buckner is their speaker for the weekend. Uh, they'll be coming back, I believe, this afternoon. If you can read it all, that big word integrity is our subject of this morning. We are looking at Psalm 120, which simply says this, A song of ascents. In my trouble, I cried to the Lord. He answered me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. The psalmist recognized that he lived in a world that was deceitful, that lies were commonplace. In fact, is they were the norm. And that's where our integrity comes in. Because God calls us to live a life of integrity, and we'll look at what that looks like in a few moments, in spite of, in the face of, and sometimes simply because no one else will do what is right, we need to have integrity. This past week, um, my wife said, I want that blue spruce tree down. Now, she usually, when she says she wants something done, she meant yesterday. So I thought I would surprise her, and I almost surprised her. But uh, I got Andy Hahn, and we took the blue spruce down. It's 50-some years old. It was way taller than our house. And she came home in the middle of it and uh, was still surprised. But that tree had lost its integrity because from the very core, it got some kind of a spore or some kind of thing. I always forget what it is, but it had started messing with the tree and the needles would just fall off when they weren't supposed to and it was starting to look like a stick tree. And so we decided to tear it down. It had lost its integrity. God gives you these things and I, I pay dearly by beating myself up trying to get that out and get it all done yesterday. And then when it was done, I got a phone call from the tenants and said, my fence on the Ann Street property lost its integrity. By the way, nobody used the word integrity. That's for pastor purposes for this sermon. But guess what? The neighbor there has four dogs, five dogs? Oh, five dogs, five dogs. They're a mix of Black Lab, Rottweiler, and Boxer. They're huge dogs, and they weigh a lot, and they slam their bodies against the fence every time Dave and Donna walk by. And they messed up the fence, and they were out running around, and I needed to go fix the fence. Integrity was a problem. We fixed it, put it back. Integrity is simply wholeness. The full, the complete picture when we think of integrity, it's not simply obedience. It's not simply doing the right thing. It's not simply acting in truth. Integrity goes beyond that. Integrity goes to the heart attitude. As we will see in a few moments, integrity of the heart or the integrity, it, yeah. the integrity of my heart is a phrase that's used over and over again in the Old Testament. It comes from the innermost being. 
It's not simply the right thing, but it's the right thing with the right motive, the right attitude, the right uh, resources from the inside out. Integrity is what we need in a world that is deceitful. Let's face it. Everywhere you turn, every direction you go, you have to be on your toes because people will take advantage of you. They will short you. They will lie, whether they're big, black, ugly lies or little white lies, which all come out in God's view the same. We live in a world just like the psalmist did. This psalm was actually a psalm that was sung on the way up to Jerusalem to a feast. That's why it's called a song of ascents. Because every time you went to Jerusalem, if you look in the Old Testament, you will find out they went up to Jerusalem. That's because you had to go uphill to get to Jerusalem from every direction in Israel. And as they were going, think about this one. It's the first one that's recorded in Psalms 120 through 134 are called Songs of Ascents simply because they were ones sung by the pilgrims going up to worship God. Think about this one. I believe it's first from purpose. Because as they were going through the world, that is described here as a deceitful world, lying lips, they were going to go into the presence of a holy God to worship Him, where integrity is always absolute. And they were singing about that. And I believe they were looking forward to the time when they were in God's presence, bringing their sacrifices and worshiping God. But they also recognized the reality of the life that was around them. And they said, deliver my soul from these things, lying lips, those things that are slanderous. And by the way, just in case you want to know what slander is, is how I remember it. Slander is you take the truth and you just put a few degrees of not truth in there. You know what? That's the best kind of lie. Because it looks almost correct, but it's not. I've used the rat poison illustration many times. I'll use it one more. Because if you buy rat poison, it has wafering in. Some of you know it as coumadin. It's the medical grade that you take to keep your blood flowing. But it given in sufficient doses, it will bleed, you will bleed to death etern- internally, eternally, I almost said that would do be too. But uh, you take 100% fresh whole grain, mix a little bit of wafering in there, and you feed it to the rats and the mice, and they die. But you know what? They would not eat it if it was moldy. I grew up on a farm, and if you have moldy grain, the rats and mice do not bother with it. They want the good stuff. And it has to be. And that's what the world does. They give you some truth, but they add just a little twist to it. A slant to the truth. That's slander. That's a lie. And deceitful is any attempt to bring somebody to a false conclusion. Any attempt to deceive. He says, this is what I dwell in. This is the direction the whole world is going. I'd like to turn your attention to a New Testament illustration of this whole principle of integrity. It's found in James chapter 3, starting at verse 1. You may want to turn to this because I'm going to look at most of the chapter. 
But it simply says this, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such you will incur a stricter judgment. Notice how he starts this subject. He says, if you're one who stands in front of other people and instructs them, a teacher, you have a greater degree of responsibility and God will hold you accountable. A stricter judgment. And then he goes on to say why. Integrity has more to do than just simply the words you speak. But by and large, integrity or lack thereof comes out first through our speech and then through our actions. And he said, if you're going to take a stand, as a Christian, for example, or as a teacher, you're going to be responsible in public before others. You have a greater responsibility. And verse 2 goes on to say, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, a man of integrity, able to bridle the whole body as well. He said, that tongue, if you can control, think about this. How many times have you wished you could take a word back? A whole conversation back? Maybe just a phrase. Maybe just an expression you just wish you could take back. Something's wrong on the inside, and it comes out, and it comes out through our mouths. That's where it starts. It can come out other ways, but it many times comes out. He says, if you can control your tongue, you can keep your whole life pretty much under control. It goes on to say, in verse 3, by way of illustration, it says, we put bits in the horse's, horse's mouths so that they will obey us, and we direct their entire body as, as well. A horse is the big animal, and without a bit in its mouth, it can do whatever it wants. It weighs ten times what you weigh, and if it wants to go a different direction, it can just go. I, didn't, I grew up on the farm, but we didn't have horses. But we, I was in 4-H and FFA, and we showed dairy cattle. Dairy cattle are about as big as a horse, and if they decide they want to go someplace, they will take you for a ride. But we had a halter. And a halter was something that went around their nose, around the top back of their head, around their mouth. And uh, some of them were made out of rope. Others had a little chain that went across underneath. And with that halter, you could make a big impact on a very big animal and get it to do, go the direction you wanted to. You may not be familiar with farm animals or horses. How about a dog that is unruly and you put a choker chain on to train it so that It's not going to go where it wants, but where you want it to go. He said that's the same thing that happens when we control our tongue. We become, as it says here, a blameless person. We're able to be a perfect man, a person of integrity. But he doesn't stop there. He says in verse 4, he says, there are great ships. And here it's talking about a sailing ship. Huge sails. A big boat, but a very small rudder. And he says the pilot is able to control that boat and send it whatever direction he so chooses. He said your tongue is that same way. Then he goes on to say in verse 5, he says the tongue is just a small part, but it boasts great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. I was talking to the fire crew just the other day. They came to water the track for the tractor pull. And I asked them if the drought and the, the wildfires and the 
the fire warnings had affected them at all? And they said, yes. And I said, what kind of fires? And they said, well, people throwing cigarettes out of their car or a car going into a patch of dry grass, the catalytic converter would set the field on fire. Well, a cigarette butt is a very small thing, but it can set the whole field on fire. Catalytic converter is not really big compared to a field either, but it can set the field on fire alongside of the road or wherever they happen to park a hot catalytic converter with their car. That's what he says here. Our integrity that comes out in our mouth makes a huge difference. And he goes on to say that when our tongue defiles us, it defiles the whole body. Think about this. Most of the time, our reputation is tainted or our reputation is good because of the things we say backed up by the things that we do. But he said, it is just so important. And then he goes on to say something that's uh, really interesting. In verse 7, he says, Every species of birds and beasts and reptiles and creatures of the sea, they've been tamed by the human race. And I think about this. I mean, they take killer whales and they train them to do tricks at SeaWorld. And they take elephants in the circus and they get them to do all kinds of things. And there are people that will go into a, a cage full of lions and tigers and I don't know, act like they're not scared. I don't know if they are or not. But you know what? To some extent, they have control and tame that animal. Not to a full extent. But he says, we can do that. But no one can tame the tongue. Why am I using this? Simply this. Without integrity, your tongue gets you in trouble over and over and over and over again. In fact, as we started in Psalm 120 by saying, the world is full of those who are deceitful with their tongue, those that lie with their lips. He says, that's the way it is. And we, even as those that have trusted Jesus Christ, if we don't live in integrity, completeness from the inside, our character isn't defined by who we are, on the outside, it's defined by who we are on the inside, which comes out through us. He said, you can't tame your tongue unless you're living in integrity. Now, it's easy to go and say, well, we know that person. They have a reputation of being a liar. And they got a foul mouth. And they curse God. And, and they use God's name in vain. And you know if their lips are moving, they're lying. We know people like that. That's easy to discern. But he's talking to Christians. Notice how he ends it. He says in verse 9, With it, that's our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. Brethren, these things ought not to be this way. He's talking to believers. He, let's face it. On one side, we can say, isn't God great? Praise the Lord, you know, and tell somebody what we had for devotion in our devotions today. And the next moment, all we do is moan, groan, complain, gossip, put down other people, and say things that we don't want anybody else to repeat or know about. He says, it ought not to be that way. Integrity says from the very inside, what comes out has been formed and shaped in our mind, in our emotions, and in our will. And then it comes out. 
The fact is, he goes on a few more steps yet. Verse 11 of James 3 says, Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs, nor salt water produce fresh? He said, folks, integrity, while it's, the word integrity is not used in the New Testament, but the concept is there over and over again. What we think on the inside will come out. If we have integrity, then the actions and the words we say will be those that honor God, that are a blessing to other people. Otherwise, we do not have integrity. As I was uh, doing some research, I found uh, this guy. I don't know who this guy is, but he says, integrity is one thing you cannot afford to lose. You can give it away or sell it, but you can't buy it. I don't know about that statement, but this last one. Without integrity, you become nothing and will have nothing. Integrity defines all the rest of who we are. It's a complete picture. If we say we have trusted Christ and we have given control of our lives over to Christ, uh, Will talked about us being a living sacrifice, then it controls us from the inside out. And what happens on the inside comes out on the outside. If our integrity is lacking, which shouldn't surprise us, that our life is inconsistent. Fresh water, salt water, blessing, curses out of the same mouth. It shouldn't be that way. As I was thinking about the, the subject of the sermon, um, Walt Disney gave me an opportunity, and I know it started long before him, but uh, there was a woodcutter who made that little wooden marionette, Pinocchio. Of course, uh, I, I thought I knew the story, but obviously I didn't. I looked it up, and uh, I found out that Pinocchio obviously had some kind of a brain, wanted to be a full-grown child, but in the process, he told a lot of lies and tall tales, and every time he did that, and the original story actually says that his nose got so long he couldn't turn around the room, but, uh, you know, every time he would tell a lie, his nose would grow. Now, I have a feeling we can all laugh at that and smile, and we do. I like those old morality tales because I found this picture, and you're going to see this one for a while. But think about that. I don't know. I guess Photoshop works pretty good. I don't know. But uh, the truth of the matter is, if our integrity was seen on the outside at all times, would we look like this guy? I'm afraid that some of us have a hard time getting out the door, maybe getting in the car, okay? Just a thought. I hope not. But let's look at a few other things because the whole concept of integrity can kind of be a sterile kind of thing. But when God uses a word, he puts it in relation to other words also and other concepts in his word so we get a fuller picture. I'd like to take you, if you would, please, back to Genesis chapter 20, verse 5. We'll turn to this and the rest of them. I'm going to go so quickly, you probably won't be able to uh, keep going. But in Genesis chapter 20, verse 5, this is the first place the concept of integrity is used. You may recognize the context. It is the context of Abraham and Sarah and a king by the name of Abimelech. Abraham and Sarah went into the promised land, 
And uh, he saw the people around him were uh, pretty ruthless. They were a bunch of pagans. They did whatever they wanted. And he was fearing for his own life. His wife, Sarah, was a pretty good-looking gal. And he thought, you know what? The king is going to see her. He's going to get rid of me so he can marry my wife. So he said to Sarah, Sarah, when we go in there, you represent yourself as my sister, and I'll represent myself as your brother. And that's what we'll tell everybody. And that way you know, we'll, we'll save our lives. Actually, Abraham's saving his own skin. And uh, they did that. So Abimelech uh, asked Sarah to come and be a part of his household. And that's where we pick up the story. Because God has gotten on Abimelech's case. And this is what he said. Did he, that is Abraham, not himself say to me, she is my sister. And she herself said, he is my brother. And this is a pagan king's words. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Now, here is a guy who has more integrity than Abraham. Abraham's lying. He's saying, Sarah's my sister. I'm her brother to save his own skin. He isn't acting in integrity. Here's a pagan king who has more integrity than Abraham had, than Sarah had. And uh, the word simply means completeness, full. Everything put together in one package. But it doesn't end there. It says the integrity of my heart. The word heart has to do with the, from the innermost being, our thinking, our emotions, and our will. All of it is together. He said, I did what I thought was okay. With everything that I could think of, I did what was right. Indeed, I was innocent. My hands were innocent. And if you notice, the two were put together. My hands are without guilt. I don't deserve punishment. I'm blameless in this. I went on the information that was given me. Now, you could say, well, isn't this pagan king trying to cover his own tracks? Well, you could say that if you didn't have the next verse. Look at the next verse, verse 6. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart you have done this, and I also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. God said, I know that my servant Abraham, the one I called, hasn't been living in integrity. He lied to you. And I covered for you. I kept you from doing anything that would bring punishment. So notice, integrity and innocence, a lack of blame, a right motive. But it doesn't end there. In Exodus chapter 28, verse 29, we find Aaron, the first high priest. It's not about Aaron himself, but Aaron had a breastplate that was part of his garments as a high priest. And on them, he had two um, items. One was called the Urim, and the other was called the Thurim. Theorem is the exact same root word as the word integrity. Because when the children of Israel needed to make a decision that they didn't have a direct word from God that he had already given them, they could go to the high priest and he would take the Urim and the Theorem and they would come up with an answer from God. The word Urim means light or a flame 
and theorem means perfection or innocence or integrity. And so when they would make a decision using those two items, and we do not know exactly what they look like, and we don't know exactly how they use them, we just know that God used them to bring good choices to the nation of Israel. They would have light, and they would have a perfect or a decision with integrity. You, so you see, it goes beyond that. It has to do with the light and the truth. But it doesn't stop there. Because in Judges chapter 9, verse 16, the word is also used again. In this case, it says, um, this is uh, spoken of by another, uh, about another king by the name of Abimelech. Not the same one we looked at before. But uh, Gideon's son, who was legitimately heir to be the next judge, was passed over for Abimelech who was a son by a concubine. And that's the context that you find here. And it says, Now therefore, if you have dealt in truth and integrity in making Abimelech king, and if you have dwelt well, dealt well with Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and his house, and have dwelt, dealt with him as he deserved, and it goes on. But here's the point. I'm not interested in the story at the moment. But how is the word integrity used? It's used in conjunction with truth. Those things that were real, they were sure, they were certain, they were stable, they were faithful. Here was the man who was supposed to be the heir to the judgeship. And others put someone else in there. He says, you haven't dealt in truth. You didn't take what you knew to be sure and faithful, and you've done something different. In fact, is in his case, he is questioning the truth. He's in question of their integrity. And again, truth is linked with the whole concept of integrity. In 1 Kings chapter 9, 9 verse uh, 4, God is talking about Solomon, King Solomon. He says, as for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked in integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you, and you will keep my statutes and my ordinances, he goes on to tell him he would bless him just as he blessed David. But notice what he brings in conjunction with integrity here. It's the concept of uprightness. The concept means to go straight to not vary off the pathway, to do what you knew to do is right. Integrity and straightness, uprightness, honesty, to be smooth, to go forward, not getting off the beaten path. He said, then and only then I will bless you and I will establish your throne. Again, another concept. It has to do with truth. It has to do with um, the uprightness, it has to do with the perfections. It has to do with innocence. You'll notice the word integrity means complete or full or perfect. It has to be from the heart. I have done lots of things in my life, and I probably will again. I'm not bragging about that. I'm just telling you that's the truth. And you, if you're going to search your own heart and know exactly what I'm talking about, I'll go, okay, Faye, I'll do it. Yeah, 
Really? Am I really thrilled about it? No. Do I really want to do it? No. The fact is, going back to the fence with no integrity, the neighbor came over and there was a bunch of junk against the fence and I asked him to move the fence. He goes, well, I didn't put it there. I'm like, I didn't put it there either. Now, you don't understand. I'm tired from tearing this tree down. I'm tired. And I thought, there you go. And, and I, I knew what I was going to preach today. And I'm like, what an idiot. Talking to me, not him, me. You know, here I give him a grouch. And I didn't, I didn't yell at him or anything like that, but it just, the attitude was wrong. It's like, you know what? I'm going to fix the fence. Do it with the right attitude. Do it with integrity. I'm going to do it anyway. Do it with integrity. Can you imagine what that would do if every time your spouse asked you to do something or your boss asked you to do something or somebody on the road uh, made you do something you didn't want to do and you did it because it was the right thing to do from the very bottom of your attitude and your motive. You did it for God's glory because it was the right thing. It was truth. It was the straight way. It was the narrow way. Can you imagine how that would change your countenance and your outlook in life? That's integrity. It's not just doing the right thing. It's doing the right thing with the right attitude. And that's what he was saying to Solomon here. Do it with the integrity of your heart, with the uprightness of your life. But it doesn't end there because uh, in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 17, it says this, Since I know, O oh my God, that you try the heart and delight in uprightness, uprightness, I, in the integrity of my heart, have willingly offered all these things. That's David speaking. And he's saying, God, here's who I am. And Lord, I know that you judge integrity. How do I know that? Because he said, you try the heart. And when you look at the heart, the way it's used here, it's everything that's inside of you. I already explained a little bit of that. And he says, God, I know you delight in uprightness. When we live in integrity and uprightness, we have the blessing of God. That's what I need. I need to know that God agrees with what I'm doing. And if I'm doing it from a, a wrong attitude, a wrong motive, I'm not doing it in integrity, God is not pleased. God is not delighting in my life. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. More than anything else. I didn't say I get it right. I'm saying that's what I want. I want God to say, I am so happy with Paul Mulfair because of what he's doing. I want God to be able to go to anybody else and say, did you see how Paul did that? Did you see why he did it? Did you see the attitude he had toward it? You know, not, not so I get patted on the back, but I want to glorify God, and I want God to be able to use me, and he's going to if he can delight in me. David understood that and wanted that for his life. But probably the word integrity that most of us know from the Old Testament comes from Job chapter 2. You know about Job, blameless, upright, fearing God and turning from evil. That's a person of integrity. And you know that everything went wrong except his wife didn't have her mouth sewed shut. We're picking on her right now. In the end, she goes, Job, put away your integrity. 
curse God and die. Put away your integrity. You know, don't continue doing what you've been doing. Put it aside. Don't hold fast to having that right attitude, that right motive, doing the right thing. Put it aside. His response, as you well know, in the next verse was, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. You see, he truly was a man of integrity, upright, fearing God, turning from evil, blameless. That wasn't his view of himself. It wasn't his friend's view of him. That was God's view, a man of integrity, and his wife knew that. So if you want to know a fuller definition of integrity, look at Job. His wife knew exactly what integrity looked like. Because here was Job. He did the right thing for the right reason, and he didn't vary from it. That's a man of integrity or a woman of integrity. In fact, there's in Job, one, just one more. In Job, uh, Job goes on to say, Let him weigh, we, weigh me with accurate scales and let God know my integrity. God weighs with a set of standards that are way beyond our standards. We look at somebody and say, oh, they do good. I've seen them. They, they're, they're honest. They don't lie. They give you the right change back. If they say they're going to do something, they do it. You know, that kind of thing. And we look at it and say, oh, that person's a person of integrity. God goes beyond that. He looks on the inside. Integrity of the heart. As I was doing this, I thought, I wonder what the New Testament says. Couldn't find the word integrity in the New Testament at all. But I found the concept already from James chapter 3, the tongue. Blameless, perfect, if I control my tongue. But one other passage that I've used over and over again in counseling, from Romans chapter 12, verse 9, it simply says that this, let your love be without hypocrisy. Let your love, agape love, self-sacrificing, other-centered love. He said, let that be without hypocrisy. You realize that that statement simply says this. You can do a lot of things on the outside that look like you care and are concerned about people when you go out of your way to help them, and yet you're a hypocrite. Speaking as the word hypocrisy means from behind a mask. You're doing it because... Paul's doing it on Sunday morning because everybody's watching. You know? That's not integrity. He simply says you do it without without hypocrisy. I love without hypocrisy. I do the things I do with a right motive, with a right attitude. I am complete in my life. I'm not two-faced because that's what a hypocrite is. Somebody that's two-faced. They say something behind a mask than they would if they were speaking face to face. God says integrity is what he is looking for. It's the basis of almost every other character issue there is. But what about those that are the ones that continually bring deceit? We're back in Psalm 120, verse 3. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? 
the psalmist is asking, what do we do with these people who continually lie, continually bring deceit into this world? We live among them. Be on your toes. Be on your best lookout because people are going to try to take you down. They're going to tell you the wrong things. They're going to mislead you. How do you deal with them? What do you do with them? He makes a statement in verse 4 that without a little bit of background may not make a whole lot of sense, but it says sharp arrows of the warrior with the burning coals of the broom tree. The first one's not so hard to understand. He says this is how he deals with it. Like a warrior with sharp arrows. Now, if you had an arrow that just had a big old suction cup on the end of it, you could shoot it at somebody and it would get their attention. But there's no vital shot to that. There's no vi- vital wound that comes from that. Kind of hits you up. Boop. Whoa. Sorry, Russ. It's hard on microphones. Uh, it'll hit you and, and you'll know it. But if you have a sharp arrow, it penetrates into the vital organs and brings about death. God says, I can penetrate. I can get to the inside. But the coals of a broom tree were a lot harder for me. And then I realized when I looked up what a broom tree is, it's a shrub. It's the same shrub that, remember when Elijah was running from Ahab and and Jezebel? He was sitting down by a, it says juniper tree in some uh, versions, but it's a broom tree. It's a shrub. It doesn't grow very big, and it grows where almost nothing else will grow. You would only use it for shade if nothing else better was around. And it will survive in such harsh circumstances that you see it here with leaves on. That's a very, 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 very short time of its lifespan or life uh, cycle. Because most of the time, it actually uh, does its photosynthesis through its twigs, which are green. The leaves are just there for a short time and they fall off to conserve water. And because of the harsh environment that it grows in, not only the branches, the twigs of this bush, but the roots make very, very good charcoal. Very dense, very tough. Coals that give a heat that's hotter than a normal fire. And that's what it's saying. They would have known that. I wouldn't have known that. But they would have known that this is the kind of tree, bush, that you want to make charcoal out of because it'll make a hotter fire. God says, I can burn through all of this. We may get fooled, but God doesn't get fooled. He says, I will judge them. Those that don't live in integrity, those that are deceitful, I will judge them. I can penetrate to the vitals. I can burn through. One last point. This whole challenge of integrity is an ongoing thing. The next verse is rather difficult because those are not familiar names to me in verse 5. simply says this, Woe is me for a sojourn in Meshach, for I dwell among the tents of Kedar. You go, what in the world is he talking about? Well, here's what it is. The first ones are nomads who live north of Israel. They literally mean to be warrior-like, one who draws a bow. They were somebody that you didn't mess with. They were on the north. And then on the south, the tribe of Kedar was 
the tribe that was the most notorious, most important of the Ishmaelite tribes. In fact, is scholars in Islam say this is the tribe Muhammad, the one who started Islam, came from. And they were absolutely warlike even back then, long before Muhammad came along. He said, we're like Israel. I'm like Israel. I'm between two warring factions, and I feel like I'm the sandwich in the middle. I'm getting blasted from both sides. And it wouldn't be uh, enough just to deal with the pressure on one side and then relax, and then deal with the pressure on the other side and relax. No, if you're going to live in a land that is deceitful and lies are all over the place, you need to be constantly vigilant because it's like living between these two warlike factions surrounded by these types of things in our life. Let's face it, I don't care what kind of media it comes from. I don't care if it comes from your coworkers. I, I don't care if it comes from your own family. It doesn't matter. We constantly need to realize that we're in a battle, a war. The world is deceitful. It spreads lies continuously constantly. And in the midst of that, as I started, we are called to live in integrity. The last two verses say this, too long has my soul had its dwelling with those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Goes right with what we just talked about. Warring faction on the south, warring faction on the north, surrounded by deceitfulness. God still calls us to have integrity. It's the basis of all the character that we as Christians should have, the character of Christ, the holiness of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. But everybody around us is saying, do it our way. That's not right. Lying to us, trying to get us off track, the broad way. It doesn't matter what it is. But in the midst of that, I am to have a reputation. Because let's face it, the end result of me having character is the reputation I have with others. Character is what I know about myself from the inside. Integrity. Reputation is how others see me. Everyone has a reputation. Just in case you don't think you have a reputation, you have a reputation. But a reputation is a neutral term. You can either have a good reputation or a bad reputation or a reputation of you to you're kind of like a slug, there you are. But everybody has a reputation. Is your reputation one of integrity? That what you do, you do from the heart. You may get tested every day at work because you might be in the midst of a bunch of lying lips and deceitful tongues. They may try to take you down, make you look bad. It could be your own family. You can live in a neighborhood that just plain doesn't like Christians. I don't know what it is in your life. All I know is this. God has called us into in, to integrity. He delights in those who live in that way. Live according to truth. Live with the right heart attitude. Live with the right motives. That's a challenge. But if you live that way, God is delighted. No better reward than a God who's delighted in the life we live. And I can tell you that when you have integrity, you will make an impact. I didn't say everybody's going to like you. 
I didn't say everybody's going to agree with you. But you will do what is right. Because it's right from the heart. I challenge you. I encourage you to be a light, to be salt in this world because they desperately need to see someone in their sphere of, of, of moving around that has integrity. That's you in your sphere. Let's all stand together as we close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God that really knows us inside and out. You judge us according to the motives of the heart. You test the heart. And Lord, I pray that we would come up when you test us as a person of integrity, that what we do, what we 